Uh, and uh, that will happen next week at this hour, in the second hour, as it's been just so that you might know for the next four to, four to six weeks, we are going to be going through uh, a number of different things. Okay, I think I'm on. Good morning again. We uh, are having trouble with our iPads this morning, so I'm using Lynn's phone to advance the slides, so that's why there's a phone up here. Um, this morning, we're going to begin a series. As Pastor Jim said, we're doing a baptism next week, so it's kind of be interrupted by that, but um, we want to go through kind of an update of our vision, mission, and key values statement for the church, and the reason we're doing this is we wanted to refine this. Um, after Pastor Kevin resigned, we started thinking about what do we want to be as a church, what do we want to be identified, what are our goals, what, are our, what is our vision, uh, what direction do we want to go. So we kind of sat down and started working on that a little bit. And by we, I mean uh, me and then the, the men. Uh, but this is a church statement. This isn't my idea. This isn't the leadership's idea. And so while we've worked on this a little bit, we want to bring it before the church and have you see it, evaluate it, understand it, um, and accept it, which means that you have to know what's in it. Uh, so we also thought this was a good opportunity to teach what we think we should be as a church, go through it together, discuss biblically why we're, we're bringing this forward and saying this is what we want to identify as a church, get your input, get ideas that you may have, changes you think might be made, suggestions you might have, uh, but to show biblically why we've come up with what we've come up with. Uh, if you didn't receive last week, I handed out the full statement uh, for you to look at. If you haven't received that, there's copies there. You can get it after the Sunday school. And uh, we recommend that you look through it during the week so you ha can come with questions and comments. Uh, please do that because we're going to be going through this over several weeks. Uh, we're going to kind of pick it apart and uh, we'll discuss it together. This week we're just going to go through the first part of the vision statement. Uh, but before we dig in, I want to open in prayer, so let's do that. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do praise you, Lord. We thank you for this time this morning. We thank you for the message from your word from uh, Jeff Stilwell. We thank you for the encouragement for us uh, to live our lives for you, to be a light before all men, uh, to be praying for workers to go into harvest, uh, to be encouraged, to be ready to give an answer for the reason of the hope that is in us, Lord. I pray that you'd help us to do that in our lives. Uh, that we would be living for you each and every day so that we can be uh, people who would be used by you uh, to make your gospel message go out to people that need to hear it, Lord. Uh, help us to be good servants. Help us to be people who love you more and care about what uh, your kingdom is doing and, and to care about people who are lost and need to hear about you, Lord. I pray as we uh, dig through these scriptures this morning, Lord, uh, that you give us attentive hearts, help us to listen, uh, help us to think deeply about the things of God, uh, and just help me to just accurately proclaim your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so the first part on your sheet here is directly what we wrote on the vision statement. Uh, the, vision, uh, the vision is kind of the purpose of what we see from Northridge Baptist Church. Our statement is the first part. The purpose, we think, of this church is to glorify God, according to 1 Corinthians 10.31, and to exalt Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, by making disciples, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, by equipping believers, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. I want to, I'm going to talk a little bit about the difference between glorifying God and exalting Jesus Christ because it sounds the same. I think there's some distinction in that. 
Um, and then we talk about making disciples, and this is what we're going to focus on mostly this morning. Uh, making disciples we see in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and this passage reads, um, Actually, that's showing the slides up here, but that's our statement. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, uh, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And so... The, you see in here that uh, we're to make disciples in kind of three ways by going, by proclaiming the message of salvation both in our worship service and as individuals, by baptizing, identifying new believers with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and integrating them into the church body, and by teaching, instructing believers in God's truth by accurate, ex- exegetical, and thorough teaching of the Bible. And this is what's in our vision statement. I'm going to uh, talk about why we wrote it this way and why this is in our vision statement as it is. Um, and then uh, at the end, I'm hoping to leave some time for input if we get through this whole thing. And if we don't, we'll continue on it for the following week. Um, but you see here that we have two key purposes in our vision statement. And these two key purposes, first of all, we see to glorify God. I think first and foremost, and I think this ought to be a purpose in every person's, every Christian's life, is to glorify God. That ought to be first and foremost. The passage we reference is 1 Corinthians 10.31. Now, 1 Corinthians 10 is a passage that talks about uh, what to do in situations where uh, you're uh, in a situation where you're confronted with the idea of offering meat that's been sacrificed to idols. And do you eat or do you not eat? And Paul makes an argument, well, idols are nothing. Idols don't exist. There's no such thing as a false god because there's only one god. And therefore, if a meat's offered to an idol, really meat, meat offered to an idol is meat offered to nothing. It's just meat. Because there's no such thing as a false god, so therefore meat offered to an idol, nothing happens to it. It's just meat. So therefore, if you want to eat it, it's not going to do anything to you. It's just meat. However, there's some people that are going to look at that and say, oh, that's meat offered to an idol. You can't eat that. That's evil. And so Paul's saying, well, you know, in that case, if somebody sees you eating that and they see you eating meat offered to an idol, they think that you're going to be worshiping the idol if you eat that. So you need to be careful not to offend them and cause them to stumble by eating meat offered to an idol. But if you're spiritual enough to realize that that's meat offered to an idol, and an idol is nothing, and you're okay with doing that, that's fine, because guess what? God created that meat, and everything in the earth ultimately belongs to God, and you can eat that with thanksgiving, so go ahead and eat that. But if you're not as spiritual, and you have struggle with that, because maybe you've been involved in idol worship before you were saved, and that's still an offense to you, then you don't eat that meat, because everything belongs to God, and you need to worship God, and because that offends you, you need to go ahead and worship God. And so Paul comes up with this conclusion, therefore, whether you eat or drink, again, remember he's talking about being offered an idol, whether you eat or drink, whether you choose to eat it, or whether you not choose to eat it, or whatever you do, just make sure you're doing it to the glory of God. 
And so whatever choice you make in your life, whatever you choose to do, and again, the, the, the eating of the meat... Eating of the meat is neither right or wrong in this situation. It just depends on how you see it, if you see it as good or bad. That whatever you choose to do, you need to choose to glorify God. That's the ultimate, whether it's right or wrong. Are you glorifying God in what you do? So the ultimate, what is right or wrong for you, is, is what you're doing glorifying to God. God wants us to bring glory to him, whatever choices we make that we ought to first and foremost ask ourselves, are we glorifying God in these choices? That goes to us individually, and as a church, that's what we ultimately want to do, is what we're choosing to do, what ministries we have, what programs we're doing, are they glorifying to God? The songs that we choose in worship, are they glorifying to God? The, the, the subjects we're preaching on, are they glorifying to God? The things we're teaching in Sunday school, are they glorifying to God? That's the first and foremost question we want to ask. Does it glorify God? And so, two key purposes. Number one, are we glorifying God? Second key purpose, to exalt Jesus Christ. Well, this sounds like the same thing, right? Because we use this a lot. Glorify God, exalt Christ. That's the same thing, right? Well, exalt is an idea of exalting is lifting up or maybe making known. Um, I want to look at a passage here, Philippians 2, 9 through 11, because this uses this word. Therefore God also highly exalted him, Jesus Christ, and gave him a name which is above every name. Well, what's the idea of this? This is giving Jesus Christ a high position, making him known, making him important, making him prominent. And how does this pan out? Verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, those in heaven and those on earth, and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this is something distinct because you're exalting Jesus to the glory of God the Father. And so the idea of our church is that we glorify God, but that we also exalt that we make Jesus Christ prominent, that we make him first, that we make him known and we make him above all else in our church service. So we're glorifying God, but we're also putting Jesus Christ center stage in the church. That the focus of what we're doing is focusing on Jesus Christ. That's not just, and this is going to sound funny, that's not just, we're not just a God people, we're not just Unitarian, we're not about God, but Jesus Christ is the focus, that we're coming here to worship God, but specifically worshiping Jesus Christ because that's what makes us distinct from Jehovah's Witnesses or that's what makes us distinct from, like I said, Unitarians or whatever, that, that Jesus Christ is the focus, what he's done for us, his sacrifice for us. That's what brings us together. So that we're exalting Jesus Christ, that he's the name above all names. He's the one who's glorified. He's the one who's the focus. Um, this would be the idea that we're making Christ known as God, Lord, and Savior. Our focus is that unsaved people come in, that we're focusing on here's what you need to know. You need to know that Jesus Christ died for your sins, he rose again, and that you need to put your faith and trust in him. As Christians, that you need to focus on serving and loving and committing your life to Jesus Christ. The focus is on the Son of God here. So our focus here is to glorify God and to exalt Jesus Christ. Those are the two key purposes. How do we do that? Well, there's two key processes, and we're going to look at the one process today, 
We're not going to get to the second one until the next time I teach in a couple weeks. But there's two key processes. And the first one, the one we're going to look at, is to make disciples. To make disciples. We use the word disciples a lot. I noticed uh, uh, Jeff used the word disciples quite a bit in his sermon this morning. When we think of disciples, we think of the disciples, the 12 disciples, right? Those were disciples. Guess who else are disciples? You and I should all be disciples. Pastor Jim should be a disciple. Matthew Carpenter should be a disciple. Nathan Young should be a disciple. Ted Camosa should be a disciple. Lynn Hamill should be a disciple. Joanna Hamill should be a disciple. Abigail Kelly should be a disciple. Anybody who professes faith in Christ should be a disciple. I'll show you that in just a second. So two processes. To be a disciple. What's a disciple? Well, let's talk about why we should be disciples. The main commandment in Matthew 28, 19 is to make disciples. Uh, the verb here is matheteo. Uh, it's an aorist imperative. And uh, the reason why I plan on it is an aorist imperative, and you're probably going, I don't know what that is. Imperative is a command. Aorist is a tense of verb. It's an ongoing tense of verb. It's a command for ongoing action. It, it, it's, what it is, is it's the transitive verb in this command. It's the one verb that is a real verb in this command. I'm going to talk about the other ones in just a second. But it's the one that's saying this is what the main verb is. The main verb that Jesus is giving is to make disciples. He's saying to his 12 disciples, you are to go and make disciples. This is what I want you to do. This is the one thing, this is the one command I'm giving you, make disciples. What is a disciple? Very easily, it's a learner. It's one who follows someone else's teaching. It's one who adheres to someone else's teaching, what they want you to do. Um, We get the word discipline from this, as in one of my disciplines that I learned is geographic information systems. I follow the teachings of geographic information systems, and I go to work and use a geographic information system every day at work because I learned how it works, and then I use it. As Christians, we need to learn what Jesus Christ has taught and use it in our life. We're disciples. We're learners of what Jesus Christ has taught us. So a disciple is a learner, and Jesus Christ's command to us is that we need to make disciples. That's his one command in this passage. The other three, three things that look like verbs are called participles. Participles are verbal nouns. They're supporting verbs. They're, they're kind of translated funny here, but I've translated them a little bit differently in your notes here to make them, them make sense. Jesus is saying, go and make disciples. And if you want to translate them here, you can see that we can translate them this way. Make disciples, letter A, by going. They're helping out. How do you make disciples? first way is by going. You start out by going. The first principle here is by going, and it's poruome. Uh, it means to go or to proceed. Um, so the first step of making disciples is by going. I ask, if going is one of the steps to making disciples, the question should be, where? Where do we go? Jesus says, make disciples by going. Well, where, Lord? Where do we go? 
Um, and that, here are some of the answers to that question from the other writers of the gospel. Mark tells us we need to go into the world. Mark 16, verses 15 and 16. Mark writes, And he said to them, Go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And I didn't give you... Oh, yep, there's all one. Sorry. Skipped ahead there. So where does he say to go? He says, go to the world. Well, who's the world? The world is unsaved people. So where do we need to go? We need to go outside this church building, into the world, to unsaved people. We're unsaved people. They're all around us. They're in your neighborhood. They're at your jobs. They're at the store. They're at your schools. Maybe not at your school. Well, there might be some at your school, Abigail. Usually, uh, I, I hear stories every year from professors at faith. You know, we, every year we have a couple of people that get saved at faith. Because there are some unsaved people there. Not a lot, but there are a few. But they're all around us. Go into the world. And do what? Preach the gospel. What's the gospel? The euangelion. The good news. Literally, the good message. The gospel. What's well, a good definition of the gospel? 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you. Paul's going to define for us the gospel. I like how Paul does this. He gives us what the gospel is. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which you also received and which you stand, uh, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. So what's the gospel, Paul? Tell us what the gospel is. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, and here it is. That Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. That's the good news we have, that Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose again. That's, go out there and tell people that. Here's the good news. You're a sinner. Christ died for your sins. He's buried and he rose again. It's, it's, you have sin, but Christ died for it. He's buried and he rose again. The rosing again is the proof that it paid for your sins. All you have to do is believe that. That's the gospel. So preach to the world the gospel. What is the good news? And, and think of this time frame here. When did, when did Christ tell his disciples to preach the good news. Christ has just risen from the dead, right? This is right after he rose from the dead. He's just appearing to his his disciples. He has died for sins. He's risen victorious. Now men can be saved. The disciples finally know the plan of God. Before this, remember, and and Pastor Jim talked about this, at, at at the Lord's table, they had no idea what was going on. Here's my body which is broken from you. What is he talking about? He's breaking, what is he talking about by body is broken for you? Here's, here's, my, here's the blood of the new covenant. What in the world is he, they, they had no clue. You know, they were still asking, when are you ushering in the kingdom? Can we sit on your right hand and your left hand? Can we call down fire from heaven? This is the way that the disciples are thinking. Christ is talking about his sacrifice, and they had no clue at this point. Peter's going, I, I'll, I'll die for you. And Jesus is like, no, you won't. This is, uh, this is all the disciples. Now they finally see the plan. Christ has risen from the dead. 
He's risen victorious. Now men can be saved from their sins by faith in Jesus. And now he's telling them, here's the good news. Go out. Share the gospel. Preach it to the world. And here's the why. Verse 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Go out and preach it so people can believe and be saved. Go. Go to the world. So, number one, where do you go to the world? Where else will we go? To all nations. To all nations. That sounds pretty similar to the world, right? It's a little different. Talk about it in just a second. Luke gives us all nations. Uh, Luke 46 and 47. Then he said to them, Thus is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Verse 47. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So here he talks about that repentance and remission of sins should be preached to all nations. So why? The why here. Why, why, why are you to go out? Because of the gospel. Is it necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead? That's, again, the essence of the gospel. We just talked about that. That Christ would suffer, that he would die, that he would be buried and he would rise from the dead. There, there, again, there's the gospel in there. For what? That repentance and remissions of sin would be preached. Now, I, I read this and I thought, I, th- I think Peter remembered Jesus saying this. Repentance and remission of sin. Because look at what Peter see- preaches in Acts 2.38. Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Sounds kind of familiar, right? Like Jesus might have just said this. I think Peter remembered what Jesus was saying, that repentance and remission of sins would be preached. And what does Peter preach his first time up there when he gets to preach? Repent for remission of sins. So Peter remembers this, I think. And where? To all nations. I think this is the scope of the gospel. This is, it's not limited by ethnicity. It's not limited by different people groups. The gospel goes to everyone. Everyone can be saved. All unsaved people, no matter who, no matter what, that, that is not limited. The gospel can go out to everyone, to all nations. So the gospel could go out to the world, to all nations, and then to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. I think I left Samaria off your note, or Judea, so if you want to scribble that in there. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And we see this in Acts 1.8. Jesus says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the what here? The, the disciples are to be witnesses of Jesus. That's what they're to do. And where? To Jerusalem and their hometown, to Judea and their region, to Samaria, to the, the places around them, and to the ends of the earth. So the first step in making disciples is we need to be going. We need to be going with the gospel. We need to be sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, of his death, burial, and resurrection. 
if our goal, if our process is to make disciples, one of the things we need to be doing as a church is be proclaiming the gospel. And this happens to happen both as individual people. We need to be doing this in our individual lives, and we need to be doing this as a church. This needs to be part of our vision, that we see the gospel going out, that we see the message of Jesus Christ, of his death, burial, and resurrection going out to people around us. And again, if you look at this last point here, to Jerusalem, it needs to be going out in this neighborhood. This neighborhood needs to hear about Jesus Christ. This neighborhood, this church's plan, we need to find ways to get the gospel out. So make disciples by going, proclaiming the message of salvation, both in our worship services and as individuals. And by worship services, I don't just mean Sunday morning. I mean whatever we're doing as a church, whatever we're doing as a sanctioned function of worship as a church. That's the first point, letter A there, by going. Secondly, by baptizing. Now I'm going to take a little bit broader scope than what we're doing next week with baptizing. Um, So by baptizing, the word baptizing is a transliteration. If you don't know what a transliteration is, transliteration means you take the letters of one language, and you just move them over to another language and make a new word out of it. Uh, in Greek, it's baptizo. So we get baptize. Uh, literally, it's to immerse. The reason why the translators didn't change it to immerse is because uh, the British king, who was a sprinkler, didn't want them, when they translated the Bible, to put immerse in there. He didn't like that because he wanted to sprinkle. And so he had them force the translators to just use baptize, just transliterate it. That's why we get the word baptize, because we don't want to offend anyone. But it literally is to immerse. This is why we fill up the tank back there and we dunk people, because we're going to be biblical and we're going to immerse people. Um, so what is baptizing? Well, let's talk a little bit about it. The first thing I want to point out is baptism does not save someone. So as we're going to baptize people, we're not going to talk about baptism for salvation, okay? Some Christian-type churches will say baptism is important for salvation or baptism does something spiritual for you. We would say that baptism in and of itself gets you wet. And that's why we bring towels with our baptism, because you want to be dried off after you're done being baptized. So baptism does save someone. Um, what does save you? I'll give you, there's many passages I go to. I'm going to give you one that's clear and that everyone knows, John 3, 16 through 18. You could probably quote this for me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, what? Believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. He who, what? Believes um, I lost my point. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not, what? Believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So what's the, the key point here? That you believe, right? I think that's pretty clear. I, I don't think the Bible can be any more clear about what you have to do to be saved, right? So baptism doesn't do any saving. 
Okay, we looked at a verse in Mark. So what, what this verse here says, uh, this is Jesus talking. He said to him, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Isn't Jesus talking about being baptized to be saved? What? He who believes and is baptized is saved. But Jesus just said, He who believes and is baptized. Right? I mean, you can't argue with Jesus, can you? Let me make two points here. Look at what Jesus continues to say. Who's condemned? Uh, But he who does not believe will be condemned. Okay, why didn't he say he who does not believe and is not baptized will be condemned? Okay, I don't think the point he's making is the the baptism part. The belief part is what's saving you. Uh, The point he's making in this passage, baptism is being shown as a natural progression of what a believer does after they're saved. He who believes then gets baptized. It's not that the unsaved person makes a decision, I'm unsaved, now I'm going to choose not to be baptized. So he doesn't have to say that the person who does not believe and is not baptized, because the unsaved person doesn't get baptized. He's just saying the person believes, then their next step is obviously baptized. But he's not saying that the baptism is a part of the salvation message. He's just making a point that you believe, and this is just naturally what happens next. You're baptized. He's not saying that the baptism is a part of the salvation process. And he makes the point there that if you don't believe, you're not saved. So he's not connecting that baptism to belief as far as or that baptism to being saved. He's connecting the baptism to that's the natural thing that happens after you believe. And we see that as you read through Acts, what happens every time someone believes in Acts, they go and get baptized right away. One more passage, because this is the one that people love to argue. What about Acts 2.38? Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Peter's arguing right there. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Christ for the remission of sins. You have to be baptized to have your sins forgiven, to have the remission of sins. Be baptized for the remission of sins. It's right there. Isn't that what Peter's saying? Right? Right? Okay, well, do you have a pen? Come up here. Bring your pen with you. Caleb has decided that today is uh, Sunday School Teacher Appreciation Day. And so as a gift, he's going to give me his pen. Oh, thank you, Caleb. I want to thank you for this pen. Now, did I thank him to get this pen? He already gave me the pen. That's when I thanked him, right? But I said, thank you for the pen. I didn't thank him to get the pen. I thanked him because he gave me the pen. This is what this for in the passage means. The Greek prepositions kind of work that way. English prepositions kind of work that way. So you're not saying, I'm being baptized to get the remission of sins. You're saying you're being baptized because I already got the remission of sins. I'm being baptized because it's already happened. I'm being baptized because it's a result of the remission of sins. Thank you, Caleb. You don't have to give it to me. It's not Sunday School Teacher Appreciation Day. So very easy to explain that one. Um, 
So this could be translated, repent or be baptized because of the remission of sins. Peter's teaching that the reason for baptism is that their sins have already been forgiven, they have already been saved, not in order to be saved. So baptism doesn't save anyone. Uh, Number two here. Baptism is commanded by Jesus. Why do we baptize people? (laughs) Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has commanded it here. So we're going to do that. And we do it after they become disciples because that's when Jesus commands us to do it. That's why we're having a baptismal service next week because there's people that are saved that have not been baptized after they've been saved. And they're wanting to follow and obey. I know one person's testimony because I helped them with it, Caleb. And in Caleb's testimony, one of the lines that he says is, I want to obey Jesus and be baptized. And that's legitimate because Jesus commanded him to do it, right? It's in your testimony, right? I'm not remembering wrong. Okay, good. This, uh, my brain's going. Um, but that's a good reason because Jesus commanded it right here. So we baptize because we're commanded to do it. So that's number two. Um, three, and my colors got changed here for some reason. That's okay. Um, baptism is an identification. Not only is it commanded, but it's an identification. We identify with something when we're baptized. We identify with Jesus Christ. When you're up there and you're baptized, you're identifying with him, with his death, burial, and resurrection. It's a picture. It's a lot like the Lord's table. The Lord's table is a picture of his broken body and his shed blood. Baptism is a picture of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And you're identifying saying that I am a part of that. I identify with that. I have died with Christ. I was buried with him. And I've risen from the dead with him. Um, A couple verses here. Acts 8. Acts 8, 36-38. Now as they went down the road, and this is uh, Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch, now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and then the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? The Ethiopian eunuch wants to be baptized. Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, if you believe Jesus Christ paid for your sins, that he died, was buried, and rose again, you may. And he answers that, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And in that statement, he's, he's saying, I believe everything you taught about Jesus Christ. Verse 38, so he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down with water, and he baptized him. So the eunuch is identifying himself with Jesus Christ, with what Jesus Christ had done for him. He's making a personal statement that I believe in what Jesus Christ has done for me. I'm identifying with that, and that's allowing him to be baptized. Go to Romans 6. Romans 6 will help with that, too. Um, so it's identification there. Uh, it's also an identification with the body of Christ. You're identifying yourself with the group of believers. Not only with Christ, but with the whole body. Uh, it's that you're identifying yourself with God's people as part of his body. Acts 2.41 uh, 
then those who gladly received his word, those who trusted Christ as their Savior, they were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. They believed, they were baptized, and they were added to that body. It's a logical step that it all goes together. Believe, baptize, and you're part of the body. And so it's an identification saying, I belong with this group. Uh, so it's an identification. So by baptizing, and that's why we write, write it this way, identifying new believers with the death burial, res- death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and integrating them into the church body. And that's what we want to do by baptizing. So that's why uh, we're, we're, we have this in our vision. This is what we're doing as a church. By making disciples, by going, by baptizing, and then third, making disciples by teaching. By teaching. Jesus says, by teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Teaching is the didasko in the Greek. It's to teach. Pretty easy. We're learners. So if we're learners, we need to be taught. Um, I said that this teaching leads uh, into the second part of the vision statement, which is equipping the saints for the ministry. Equipping the saints for the ministry. And we'll talk about that next week. Because um, I'm running low on time anyway, and I kind of knew that I would get to this point. But we're, we're, we're going to equip the saints from the ministry by teaching them what Christ taught and what the disciples taught. So we see that uh, teaching was an important part of the early church. Teaching was an important part of the early church. What did the church do? On Acts 2.42, and we, we saw this recently as Pastor Strope taught, they continued steadfastly. First, in the apostles' doctrine, the apostles' teaching. That's what doctrine is. They're teaching what they taught. The early church spent time listening to the apostles as they expounded on the Old Testament and as the Holy Spirit guided them and they taught. We have the apostles' teaching in the Word of God. That's our focus. We're going to focus on teaching out of the Word of God and what the Bible tells us and what the Bible teaches us. And uh, we're going to focus a lot on the New Testament because the New Testament has a direction, instruction directly to the church. We're not going to ignore the Old Testament. Our Sunday school is focused around the Old Testament. There's lessons to learn in there. But the New Testament gives us direct commands to the church and how the church should live. So we're going to focus on that too. Uh, so this doctrine is what is taught, the teaching Teaching was an important part of the early church. We also see that Paul commanded preachers to be faithful in teaching the word of God. And we see this in, uh, especially in the books that he wrote to specific teachers, to Timothy and Titus. Timothy and Titus were both pastoral-type people. These are books written directly to pastoral-type people, uh, as opposed to the books written to the church. And Paul tells both of them on a number of occasions to be careful about what they're teaching and to be faithful in teaching the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, he writes to Timothy, The things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And the idea, Paul tells Timothy to pass along what he's been taught, and to keep passing along, and there's, there's generational passing this along, that you teach it, and you teach it to faithful men, and they teach it to others, and you keep passing along the teaching. And to be faithful in teaching the word of God. 
You know, I know Pastor Jim has this desire. I have this desire that we would train up teachers to teach the Word of God and continue to pass it along. And uh, we want to see men built up who can teach the Word of God and continue this ministry long past when we're around, should the Lord tarry, and just keep on building up men who are faithful to teaching the Word of God. In chapter 1, he writes to Timothy. No, chapter 3, sorry. I can't read the little phone here, what numbers are on there. Chapter 3 says, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing whom you have learned them, and that from a childhood you have known the holy scriptures. This is a, this word here is holy writings, and probably refers to the Old Testament, which you are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. Verse 16 is all scripture, and this is, this is a different word here. This is probably a full scripture, Old and New Testament, is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for teaching, for reproof, for, 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 um, for telling you what's wrong, for correction, for fixing what's wrong, for instruction in righteousness, for, for getting you right, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And, and we have scripture, we have the word of God that gives us everything we need to know what is right, to know what's wrong, to fix what's wrong, and to keep us on the right track. And that's what we have. We, we have the sufficient word of God that is given by, that is breathed out by God. And that's what we're going to teach. We're going to teach the word of God that, so we can train up people that know who God is and what his will is for us. And Titus, Titus chapter 2 he writes to Titus, he says to Titus, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, for sound teaching, to, to teach what is right, what is good, what is sound. Continue to do that. And then Titus chapter 1 here, he writes to Titus, says for, and he's talking about the qualifications for a bishop or a pastor. For a bishop must be blameless. And then he goes on in verse 9 and say, says, holding fast to the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine to both exhort, uh, to, to teach the word, and to convict those who contradict. And so we're going to be a church that teaches the word of God. That's our goal. That's our vision. That we're founded on what God's word says. I didn't give you that last part of the verse. Um, I didn't give you any of these verses, I guess. Sorry about that. And the last thing that we see here is that teaching is commanded by Jesus as part of the disciple-making process. Teaching them all the things that I have commanded you. And Jesus gives a promise in here that uh, I didn't put in your notes this morning, but it's, it's good to remember, and lo, I'm with you to, even to the end of the age, that Christ is with us in this, this venture, that as we're making disciples, that this is, this is what God's will is for us. He's going to help us out in this. So by teaching, instructing believers in God's truth by accurate, exegetical, and thorough teaching of the Bible. So that's the first part of this vision statement, that our vision, our vision uh, by glorifying God and exalting Jesus Christ by making disciples and equipping believers, that we would make disciples by going, by baptizing, and by teaching. So I, I know it's, it's noon. You're probably all getting hungry. 
you probably all were like, let's just get going, but I, I want to open up for any questions or thoughts. Um, again, this, this is the church's statement. This isn't Sean's vision statement. This isn't Pastor Jim's. This isn't the deacon's. We want your input on this. Anything that you see, I'm actually going to grab a pen in case uh, you have some thoughts, because we really want your input on this. Because this isn't our church. This is, I mean, this isn't my church. This isn't Pastor Jim's church. This is our church. Um, and so, what are your thoughts, questions, anything that you don't understand, want clarification, or anything you see, that, or anything you like even, that maybe you said, that's really good, I really appreciate that, let's emphasize that more, or, um, Randy, okay, good, that's, that's encouraging, that's good to be encouraged. Um, and by the way, this is the third draft, so there's been work put into this. This isn't, uh, this isn't like we just threw it together. <laughs> there, there always are typos. Um, are there typos in my notes, or are there typos in the actual statement? Okay, the notes, are, the notes aren't going into the statement. What we're really worried about is the statement. The notes are, like, expanding on to teach you why we have them. Um, because the statement we're trying to keep concise so that we have something to go by. The notes are just to explain why the statements are a statement. So um, not that the, the notes shouldn't have typos, but you know how I do notes. There's always typos in my notes. So um, <laughs> that, that's probably never going to change. But we're, we're going to do this at the end, though, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. so we're not going to, we'll give you more time to think about it. I, I, don't, want, I don't want to make a, a spur-of-the-moment type decision. We want you to think about this, because this, this vision and direction and stuff is, is stuff we really want to be, again, we, we want this to be like, somebody comes and says, oh, we should do this program, we should do a one, or we should do Word of Life or something, and we want to go back and say, okay, how does that relate to our key values and our vision? Does that fit what we want to do? Does that line up with what our goals are, what our vision is? Uh, instead of just grabbing stuff and doing stuff, we want it to fit who we are as a church. And what we think God, it, and what we've been challenged with with uh, Baptist church planners is uh, running it through what is critical to God. And we think that if we have a vision and a purpose that we think this is what's critical to God, that's going to help us focus on doing things that are critical to God. And we've talked about, since Pastor Kevin's left, we need to find a way to reach the community with the gospel. That's one thing we're lacking with in this church. And I, I think there's a lot of us, myself included, that's not really sure how to do that. But if we have at least a vision and a purpose to do that, okay, we can start figuring out how to get to that point and start having an effective evangelistic-type ministry at the church. And that's something we need to do. This community needs to hear about Christ. This, 
community needs the gospel. There's people outside our doors that are dying without knowing who Jesus is. How do we reach them? How do we, how do we get a hold of that? So, uh, and, and so that's why, you know, the, the, you know, that first part, that's why I spend a lot of time on the going because we need to go. That's, how, how is our church going to grow? And, and I'm talking the numbers-wise. I mean, spiritually, we're going to grow by the word of God, but how are we going to grow numbers-wise? We've got to get the gospel out. You know, I don't, I don't think God's just going to drop people in here. He can do that if he wants to. Like, uh, like Jeff Stillwell said, there, there's been times in his life he's seen people, he's heard stories about God just reaching people, and he does that at times. I have a friend who just one day he had a Bible in his house, and he just picked up and started reading and got saved. That happens. But that's not the normal way God does it. He uses people to share his gospel, and we need to figure out how God can use us and do that. So um, anyway, I'm sorry, I'm still talking. I'm still rambling on. I do that. Uh, any other thoughts, questions, comments? Again, you're not going to offend me if you say, well, I, I don't like that, or maybe we need to change this. I, I want to hear your thoughts. Um, you know what? Nathan. Oh, thank you. Okay, that, that's, that's good. Um, I, think, I think Sue read through for typos at least once. I know, I th- I know you've read through it, you and Dory. Dory's good at picking up some of those things, too, so I, I'm hoping we caught most of them. I know you marked it up, Dory, at one point in time, so hopefully we caught most of them. Any, any questions on the content? Does it make sense? She's like, yes. In Jesus' name, amen.